the fourth category, the fourth characteristic of the modern self is that it is a consuming self. This one is almost so obvious that I don't need to say much about it, but I will. Um, consumerism has had a deeply formative influence on us, and it has shaped every one of us in this room, even though we're aware of it and we know, yeah, we live in a consumeristic world. People are always trying to get me to buy more stuff. Advertisers are always telling me I need more stuff and that I'll be complete if I just have this. Even though we know all that, we still are consuming people. This is essential to our sense of self. Um, you've heard a lot of conversation this year about things like structural racism, right? Jonathan Grant has this to say. Capitalism is probably the most formative structural reality within our society. If we just had all the conversation, and I'm not saying structural racism isn't a good conversation, I'm saying if we applied that level of consciousness to how much consumer capitalism structurally affects us, I think we'd have our eyes a lot more open to how much we are a consuming self. Um, let me read you this. This is from uh, Jonathan Grant's book, Divine Sex. Uh, he refers to a book called Love in the Time of Algorithms. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this book. It's a book about romance and online dating. And the writer of this book tells the story of a young man named Jacob who joined an online dating service. He met a young woman named Rachel and began dating her. But after two years, the relationship started to falter a little bit. And here's what Jacob said as this author interviewed him about that whole relationship. He said this, I'm 95% certain that if I'd, made, if I'd met Rachel offline, I would have married her. I would have done whatever it took to make things work. Did online dating change my perception of permanence? No doubt. When I sensed the breakup coming, I was okay with it. I was eager to see what else was out there. He knew, I'd just pull up my app, there's going to be 10 other girls that might be interesting to me, and so big deal if we break up. There's always more to be pursued. That's what consumerism is doing to our ability to enter into relationships. Um, Sherry Turkle, who wrote a book, Alone Together, that some of you guys might be familiar with, she's a very wise and astute observer of culture. She says, we are as connected, we are connected as we've never been connected before, and we seem to have damaged ourselves in the process. A 2010 analysis of data from over 14,000 college students over the past 30 years shows that since the year 2000, young people have reported a dramatic decline in interest in other people. Today's college students are, for example, far less likely to say that it is valuable to try to put oneself in the place of others or to try to understand their feelings. An online connection can be deeply felt, but you only need to deal with the part of the person you see in your game world or social network. Young people don't seem to feel the need to deal with more, and over time they lose the inclination. So think about it this way. We, we've been taught deeply by our, our economic structure, and I'm not saying there's a better thing out there than capitalism, so I'm not a communist if any of you guys are worried about that, okay? I'm not like a down with capitalism person, but I am saying this has formed all of us in ways we need to be aware of, okay? Um, capitalism has formed all of us that consuming is just a natural and normal thing, that you need that next thing that you don't have. And what that begins to do is it begins to shape our understanding of the self and therefore shape our engagement in relationships to where if we've been taught to consume products, 
what we do with things, we inevitably do with people, right? So we relate in a consuming kind of way to whatever other people have to offer us. We relate in a consuming way to friendships. We relate in a consuming way to Christian community and to church. We are a consuming kind of self. And therefore, we have very little capacity for things like conflict resolution, for things like self-denial, for disciplines like fasting and abstinence. Um, These are things that just seem out of sync with the reality of how we think about life. Um, If you approached your neighbor who's not a Christian and started talking about how with your small group um, you're going to fast over uh, the Lenten season, one of two things would happen. Um, That person might think, ooh, that's kind of a cool thing. It sounds really neat and countercultural. Uh, in sort of a hipster kind of a way, right? Of like, ooh, that sounds like something I haven't tried before. That sounds interesting. I, cons- I consumptively want to try something like that to see what it's like. Or, you're crazy, why would you ever do that, right? You're probably not going to get a response of like, oh, that sounds like a meaningful practice to accomplish the denial of the self. We, we don't have that category, right? We don't have that category. So, the self as a consuming self affects uh, how we relate to Christian practices and how we relate to the scriptures. Again, so we're going to do the same exercise. Um, this one, I think, is one that's, that's so intuitive for you that you should have an easy time talking about it. What are some of the implications of the consumer self for Christian discipleship? All right, have that conversation together for three or four minutes, and then again, we'll talk about it together. All right, let's talk about it together for a few minutes. Um, funny story, I did a college retreat at Iowa State. This is probably 10 years ago. Um, I was speaking at this college retreat, and I was sitting at a table at dinner with all these Iowa State engineering students. And so I was just asking, it's fine, I don't like the Cyclones either, but uh, I was, I was I'm just kidding. I'm not taking a side in this intramural debate. But I was asking this table of engineers, hey, so tell me, like, uh, tell me about like, your classes. And these guys were high-functioning, and, and a lot of them were on scholarship. And, you could, and I knew that they were, like, they were in the last year of their program and getting ready to go on, and a lot of them were doing internships already at, at major corporations. And I was asking, hey, so like, explain what it means to be to be an engineer. I'm like a communications major. This is not my world. Like, help, me, help me enter into your world. What do you guys learn about And they started describing to me that one of the things they were being trained at in their engineering classes is how to design products that would work 8,000 times but break on the 8,001st. So how do they design a washing machine that will work great for six years but on the seventh year will break? Because their job is to design products that require constant replacement and maintenance so that you keep spending money. And it just blew my mind. I don't think that was news to me. I knew that that existed in the world. But for some reason, it blew my mind that there's a college teaching people in class, how do you do the research to make sure something breaks in a timely interval so that it requires fixing? And I realized the game is stacked against us. Even if we want to not be consumers, the engineers have us beat. They're designing products that for the rest of our lives are going to require us to buy more stuff. And it's really disheartening and frustrating. So, with that wonderful, hopeful news, what are some of the implications for Christian discipleship of the consuming self? That's right. That's why you don't, never buy the warranty, because it won't be, won't be good anyway. Uh, what are some of the implications?
Yeah, amazing, right? Like churches fall into this thing as a way of attracting people. Yeah. Right. So one of the ways it affects discipleship is we're taught that once we've consumed something, it's just time to move on to the next thing. And so we inevitably will treat relationships that way. Um, one of the things that's fascinating to think about, and I'm not sure it's entirely a function of consumption, but it's certainly connected to this, is think about how many of your great-grandparents lived their lives in one place and how few of your peers lived their lives in one place. Like, you're moving to different cities because there's a better job, there's better opportunity. This, like, we're just taught, like, move on, seek the next thing, do the next thing. And again, that's not necessarily wicked or sinful, I don't think the Bible says you can't move to a different city and take a different job. But it's interesting to think about how much that affects the way we relate to everything in our lives. Relationships, neighborhoods, friendships, churches. What else? Yeah. He said we compartmentalize our experiences. And so it affects the depth by which, or the depth at which we're able to relate to one another, right? Because part of cons- consuming is like you're never consuming all from one store. You got a bunch of places you go for different things, right? And different kinds of experiences and different kind of products. And so you just think in compartments, and you're used to sort of like church fits in this category, and work fits in this category, and family fits in this category, right? And I have a tendency to fit people into categories in ways that keeps me from really investing fully in any one thing. Um, you might say it this way. It's like uh, you always diversify your portfolio, right? That's just being a good consumer. So you never have all your eggs in one basket. I mean, you wouldn't get all your spiritual nourishment from one church. You probably need to go to a Bible study at another church and have at least five podcasts that you listen to and a few other things too, right? And again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying, isn't this how we relate to discipleship? Yeah, yeah. always looking for the upgrade, right? When do I get the upgraded spouse, the upgraded church experience, the upgraded small group, the upgraded kids who are more obedient, right? There's, there's this, this, there's sort of like a consistent dissatisfaction in our lives because of this. If you think about how many people just experience like dissatisfaction, a lot of it is tied to this idea that I'm a consuming self and there's always, there's always something better for me to consume. There's never a lack of novelty. And when there is, I start to get dis- discouraged and disappointed. We've already talked about this a little bit, but think about how we even think about discipleship as an, a category of consumption. Um, like I've had, I, I, this is, I want you to hear everything I'm saying, not through the lens of critique, but through the lens of just observation. I can't tell you how many young men and women have come to my church and said, hey, is there, is there an older person here who can disciple me? And I want to say, well, yes, there is. And do you hear the question you're asking? You're not asking first, where can I jump in and serve? Where am I needed? How can I be a meaningful part of this body? You're asking, I need discipleship. Who can meet that need? Right, And there's just a it's, a, it's a good need and longing, but there's also a way that consumerism plays even into the way we think about that. So it's fascinating to think about all the levels at which the consuming self uh, hinders our capacity to experience meaningful Christian discipleship.